Bev, Steph, and Shane here talking to Janine Pipe. She is an editor at I Will Get Everything Wrong, so I'll let her tell about I know um, Candesia Press. Uh, she's got a brand new editing project she's working on that I'll let her tell us more about in a little bit here. But uh, um, needless to say, Janine is awesome. She's here. We're talking to her. And Janine, tell us something about yourself for our listeners, please. Uh, wow, thank you very much. Um, as you said, um, editor at the moment, uh, working with Candisha and um, new project for next year, which will be with Clash Books, which is really exciting. And I'm just already what I've done with Lisa and Christoph has been fantastic. Well, we'll have to put it on hold for a little bit because there's baby coming. So uh, <laughs> we won't be doing too much, but I've already had about 50 submissions for that. So going to be very, very busy. Um, obviously a writer, a reviewer, interviewer and just a little bit of everything really but what I always say to people is mainly just a horror fan, everything else kind of goes with it but at the heart of it I just love horror, movies, books, everything about it. Yeah. But not but not just Harold, there's some there's something else that's a love isn't there, something that may be on your pyjama bottoms which our viewers can't see. <laughs> yes, and so many people, uh, it really confuses them that how I can love Disney so much and how I can love horror so much and how that kind of like comes together. But it's surprising that there's a lot of people. Adam Caesar is a massive Disney fan as well. And we've kind of said that one day we should meet up at Disney World and all that kind of stuff. It does quite often go hand in hand. People that really, really love Disney also like the darker side of it. So, and I always have like my favorite ride at Disney is the Haunted Mansion and the Tower of Terror. So, you know, even on the Disney side of things, I like the darker stuff as well. Yeah, it's, like, yes. it's like two sides of the coin, isn't it? The, the yin and the yang. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> but I do get people that are like, but you look like you just like all the princesses and you always got a Mickey Mouse jumper on. How how can you write that disgusting splatterpunk stuff? <laughs> I like that even more then. <laughs> I get that too. I've always got like a like a Sesame Street shirt on or a, or a Dr. Seuss shirt or something like that. You know, my favorite things that hungover from childhood, you know. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm still, I'm sitting here reading something by J.F. Gonzalez and uh, wearing a Cookie Monster shirt, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's, it's called being well-rounded. <laughs> um, so tell us how this came about, Janine, all of this. Um, when I met you, I think two years ago now, but I my time tracking this past two years has sucked. Um, you were I, I'm not going to say a nobody because <laughs> that's not nice. But, <laughs> but um, I, I had started following your YouTube channel and that was that was all I knew about you at the time. And, you know, started talking with you and then um uh hunter got into the mix and uh um he he adores you by the way hunter shay um and uh but yeah it went very very quickly it seems like you know um i i know there's no such thing as an overnight sensation but in the public eye uh one minute janine pipe is running a really killer youtube channel 
and the next minute Janine Pipe is an editor at Candesia Press and she's a published author and people are inviting her to do projects and I mean it's been a pretty pretty uh, meteoric rise so to speak over the last couple of years. Uh, tell us about that experience. So yeah when you say it like that it sounds a bit crazy really to think of you know sort of how far I've come um and I met um Bev and Steph around about the same time as well when we all got together for um for the first Diabolica Botanica um basically horror has always been in my life right since I was a little girl I grew up um close to the Somerset Dorset border so we were surrounded by local lore and ghost stories and all that kind of thing my dad is huge horror fan grew up with all the hammer horror stuff and all of that so it's always been in my life and I'd come to a position where um, my daughter was a little bit older I was in between work and things I had this bit of time and I just thought I was actually um, I was doing Disney blogging so I had um, for a travel company within the UK so I had some experience of being paid to write and that kind of stuff but but within travel writing and I thought do you know what I'd quite like to see if I can do that kind of thing but with horror and I had absolutely no idea whether anything like that would exist so I started my own blog and I quickly found that the best thing to do with that would be to be reviewing. And as soon as that you announce that you might be able to read a book and review it, you suddenly like hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of people are like, connections. And something which I've always been good at is networking and connecting with people. And some of that's come from being in the police because you needed to do that kind of thing. Then from the police, I worked in a school and it was again, um, like connecting and making um, sort of just like knowing that that person can help you out, that you can support that person along the way. That's just something which I've always believed in. So while I was doing the reviewing and looking for open calls for submissions and things like that I was meeting more and more people and one of the key well two key people within that one was Sadie Hartman Mother Horror um, and then the other person was Jill Jill Girardi from Candisha Press um, and they both developed into amazing friendships but also we were each other's support and we put each other forward for things stuff like that and then just all of a sudden I realized that I was writing for screen magazine for cemetery dance for horror DNA and all that kind of stuff I was getting screeners sent to me people were inviting me to anthologies and stuff like that and I put out I think I've now got 22 stories in anthologies which is just crazy and obviously my own collection as well and it just sometimes when I think about it it's just like wow I did that and I'm really actually quite proud of myself, but also I'd like to think that I've helped a lot of other people along the way and I never ever take it for granted either. Um, and it's something that I believe in strongly, especially like with Twitter, uh, use it to support other people. So if I'm reading something, I, I want to tell people about it because uh, so many people have like looked at something I've put. I wouldn't say I'm not an influencer or anything like that, but people do sometimes say to me, oh, wow, I saw that book on your shelf and I thought, oh, that was really interesting. Or that movie that you keep saying about, I haven't watched it for years and I went back and my God, I love it so much. And whenever people say that kind of thing to me, I think that's what it's all about. That makes yep. it worth it. Yeah. If I mention one name and someone thinks, oh, wow, yeah, I'm going to go and find out who that author is, then then I've done my job. 
Yeah. As I just yeah. answered the question at all, I just started rabbiting then. Rabbiting is <laughs> what we love the best. That yes. was interesting though, because on, on Twitter recently, there's been this argument saying, oh, well, Twitter doesn't actually sell books. You know, it's pointless for writers to mm. sort of put links and all sorts on there. And I'm, I responded to someone's tweet and I said, Hang on, I've got I've put loads of books because of Twitter. Yep. So, mm-hmm. which side of the fence do you stand on with that? Do you see it as a, a useful platform or a necessary platform? Or I think you know, so, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I believe so. Like you said, there's so many times when I see it might be Sadie doing one of her lists or something like that, and I even if it's just the cover of a book, and I think, oh wow, more so than Instagram or anything like that for me, it's it's Twitter. And it, if somebody's put the link as well, it just makes it so much easier yep. to click on it rather than having to find it. I get 99% of the things that I buy from other people saying, mm-hmm. look at this book. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with that. And the Inkheist affiliate numbers on Amazon say that Twitter is the biggest selling tool out there, you know, um, because literally just probably probably um, except for one guy, I know 100 percent of our um, affiliate money comes through Twitter to Amazon. So, yeah, you're right about that. That's good to know, actually, because I thought, well, if you can't sell your books or promote your books on Twitter, I know there's other platforms, but it seems to be the main one for um, the genre. Where can you market them without a huge advertising, you know, marketing budget? You know, I thought I'll give up now. It's word of mouth, isn't it? Like I say, somebody yeah. like Janine mentions that she's picked this book up and you right. might not have heard of this book. And, and then you read her review and you click on the link and you read the blurb and you go, oh, I'm going to give this one a go. You know, 10 minutes ago, you didn't know anything about this book and now it's sitting on your Kindle. Yeah. 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 And yeah. social media kind of changes your approach to it. I mean, um, when I started writing reviews, um, I was kind of like, oh, look, all these people, you know, are calling me an influencer. My blog is so popular. And this is like back in 2014 or 2013 or something. And um, but then I started actually, you know, applying the business into the deal and paying attention to numbers and realizing that, well, my blog isn't really all that popular. It's all these fucking tweets about my blog that are popular, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, use the tool, definitely. And Janine's a pro at it. So, everybody contact Janine if you want to know how. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Secrets of My Success by Janine Pipe. Come yeah, on, that's going to be your new, right. a new book coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this face, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, as a writer, Janine, you, you have your collection, uh, Twisted Tainted Tales, which has done very well. An excellent collection, may I say. Uh, can we expect anything new from Janine, the writer, in 2022? Are you just completely snowed under with your other projects? This is my only issue, is because it's so difficult to carve out writing time as well as everything else. Um, and also, I um, my main kind of job is a scriptwriter for um, a podcast called Something Scary. So I'm 
basically write every single day and sometimes I find that when I've done all of that the creativity is just kind of like gone (laughs) which is the the pros and cons of having a job that pays the bills but is a writing job um but yes there will be something from me in 2022 um and it will be something a little bit different oh all I can say yes Disney horror (laughs) (laughs) so many people actually have said to me your next anthology that you know open up has got to be Disney horror but there's so many issues with that you've got to go so careful with all of the IP and everything so I'm not sure I'm brave enough to uh, venture into that quite yet (laughs) So, so, so we can't have Beauty and the Beast and the Beast is a werewolf then that would be amazing, wouldn't it? That would be so cool. Well, we'll have to try and. Uh, my husband's a lawyer, so I'll have to ask him how we can try and work around it without getting any cease and desists from Disney. Because I don't want it to be blackboard for Disney. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not going on holiday anymore because you're not allowed in the gates. Can you imagine? <laughs> the loop, the loophole with most Disney pieces is that they're all they're vastly, especially the older ones, based on. Uh, literature that is public domain now so yes, yeah yes. <laughs> go for it janine beauty and the beast with blood <laughs> well, it's just going back to the original fairy tales really isn't it because they're yeah, it is. horrible some of them yeah <laughs> um yeah i'm uh i'm a grim fanatic and you're absolutely right about that they're horrifying they're yeah. i i would read them to my children but most normal parents would not yeah. Um. <laughs> oh. so, so what's so fascinating about werewolves I don't know there's just something about them and it always has been you know since I was little if you had to say like what your favorite um monster was and even before they were scary monsters when they were just like the hammer house or you know the universal monsters it's always been werewolves but I also love wolves. So that maybe some of that has come from it. Um, and I think it's just the whole thing that, you know, like with the change and everything and that they can't control it and all of that. There's just something absolutely fascinating about it. And um, I, I like it so much so that I've done a lot of like sort of digging into the historical side of it and was fascinated to find that around the same time as the witch trials, they actually had werewolf trials over in, Germany I believe where a couple of people were actually tried and killed because they believed that they were werewolves oh yeah which is you know <laughs> quite scary <laughs> it's like having really? Coy Hall back on again isn't it <laughs> yeah really it was kind of uh yeah we were it, it was a scary time to be alive whether you were you know a monster or a patient <laughs> <laughs> I think whenever I hear stories from back then, it's like, okay, well, you you had to really, really watch your tongue around people, and you didn't want to go to the doctor for anything. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> so thinking about werewolves and vampires and things, because a few of your stories were vampires as well, you use these tropes. How do you think that you could actually bring this trope life again give it something fresh because a lot of the stories they they do tend to touch the same ground although your your footsteps in diabolical and in your collection was different because it brought in aspects of female biology which is not used in horror very much and which i think is a great you know area to play in but 
what would you bring to the werewolf um, sort of story to try and make it you again, you know, say in a film or something, how could you re reinvent it? See, this is my issue with especially werewolves is that I love the law and I don't want it to be changed. Mm. <laughs> so I actually like the classic werewolf stories and I like it when things adhere to the full moon and the silver bullets and that kind of stuff. So I like it when people um, bring in new things and they change the you know things around. But for me, a werewolf should also look like a werewolf. Um, and I, I do like um, a bipedal werewolf as well, because obviously it should be a wolf man that's or, or woman, or, but that's, you know, a wolf human. Um, and I've seen a few films recently where uh, there's one called Wear, actually, and um, the the creature wasn't even particularly hairy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I watched it with um, with Steve, my husband, and we ended up kind of like bickering over it because he was like, oh, he's as much as a werewolf as he needs to be. And I was like, no, he needs to be hairy. Where's the hair? He needs to look like a wolf. So I'm a bit, um, I like it when people in, introduce new things and of course it makes it more interesting when you don't know exactly what's going to happen. I actually also really like the law and with werewolves especially I'm a real stickler for trying to keep it as much as like the historical side of it as possible so I don't know if I was writing a movie of them I don't know I, I don't I would just keep it as it was would you like to be a werewolf <laughs> would I like to be a werewolf yeah it'd be exciting I think they're quite sexy as well <laughs> You'd have to be very hairy as well, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. That's quite, you know, that's an excuse as a woman not to have to shave your legs and all that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd like to be a werewolf. That'd be quite good. I don't know that my husband would approve necessarily. <laughs> I might have to move out into the shed once a month. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what what did you think of Mangles by Stephen Graham Jones? Because that took the the whole trope of the werewolf, didn't it, and kind of changed it up a little bit while still keeping in the main history of werewolves i haven't read it yet it's on my list you need to mean it's wonderful yes, i know and he is such an amazing person and writer and it's on my yeah. list to, to read i just haven't got around to it yet neither have i neither have oh, okay, good. <laughs> I, I, only, I only read it recently because shane made me yeah <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah it, it's uh, definitely a list of them, and it's on there. I need to read it definitely. Yeah, Stephen will make you look at French fries and um and uh, pantyhose and a whole. whole oh different yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm even more intrigued. Now. <laughs> that should be a tweet, shouldn't it? Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I didn't even know that werewolf literature was a thing until um way back back in the day when i first started writing reviews one of the first books i ever reviewed was uh rolf's blood rain from sam hain um yeah, and that was really yeah uh, that was really uh like my very first werewolf novel i never really thought i i love werewolf films i've probably seen pretty much everything i've ever been able to find um but I hadn't read any stories, really. You know, um, it's not the most embraced monster trope, so it's a good one, I think, to write in. Um, so yeah, um, and Rolf, 
just really, you know, really nailed it. Uh, um, Don, who is now with Flame Tree, Don Doria, uh, he put he put out that one and one by Jans called Wolfland. Yes. Uh, both Another of those. Amazing book. Yeah. yeah, stellar stellar books. So, and that wasn't really leading up to anything; just that it was a surprise to me um, <laughs> that there was such literature. And then I started reading, you know, more and more and more and more. And uh, there's a fascinating amount of it, actually. And it's uh, it's done really, really, really exceptionally well by a few, and not too well by most. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's a difficult one to get right. The same as with the movies. Uh, it's yeah, one yeah. of those things where um, there's uh, there's quite a few werewolf movies out there, but there's only a handful that are actually any good. And uh, yeah, I think it's the same with the books. It's just, I don't know, it, it's, it shouldn't be a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to show on film. I can understand that. It shouldn't be a difficult thing to describe necessarily. But um, yeah, people do seem to say, but I agree, they're my two favourite werewolf books as well, uh, Blood and Rain and Wolfland. And Wolfland is vicious as well. Jans is, he's such an yeah. amazing person. He's so lovely and he writes so viciously. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and he's all over the board too. It's kind of like, uh, you don't, um, you see the aspects in his writing of his real personality, you know, the, the um, love of family and, you know, devotion. And um, you can act, you can see the kind of guy that he really is in his words, but then he throws out something like Wolfland um, and just, you just totally go, who the fuck is this guy? Even yep. you know? amazing, I love it. I mean, oh, even this, the, the Siren and the Spectre. There was, yep. there was yeah. In that, that I went, what? Did he write this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, all of his stuff's like that. I think you just think he's such a nice and mild-mannered person, and woohoo, he's written that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. This. Uh, this guy says fornicate instead of the word I'd normally prefer in that place. <laughs> um, I spent half of an episode one time trying to get trying to get him to swear, but uh, he's not a swearing man. <laughs> Glenn is. <laughs> yeah. They both like yeah. They both got potty mouths. <laughs> but yeah. Not yeah, when Glenn was on, we did it. We kind of, we were kind of birds of a feather. I think that the most used word was fuck. <laughs> if we filtered that out, we'd have a 15 minute podcast. <laughs> but, uh, um, but British people are a lot more proper. So we don't have near as much swearing on this, this show as we do on Inkeist. <laughs> God, I better uh, behave myself now then. <laughs> you're, you're just targeted and swearer there, Shane. <laughs> just, just let you come out with it. Like I say, Steph and I are just so very prim and proper. <laughs> uh, right. It's a facade. <laughs> no, I want to know, or I mean, I do know, but um, tell us about tell us uh, about this project with. Lisa and Christoph at Clash. Um, I'm okay. excited about it. Yeah. It's one of my so, favorites. Yeah, it's um, it just sort of came about that I can't even remember how or why I thought about it, but I just thought to myself, 
um Goonies the Goonies is one of my all-time favorite movies I've watched it so many times that I'm not allowed to watch it with other people now because I annoy them because I can do all the lines (laughs) um, know all the dialogue so and I just thought to myself wouldn't it be really cool to have um an anthology of stories that paid homage to all of the like the Amblin movies the Spielbergs all of that kind of stuff but they get, we had a nice horror twist on them so they they were you know like a, I said like the the goonies but with gore and that kind of stuff and um obviously we'd have to be very careful again with IP and that kind of stuff that it, it it had to be very much this is an ode to this thing that I love but we're not using any of the characters that kind of thing right right um and I actually went to Brian Keane about it and said to him um that I had this idea he said it's an amazing idea I'm behind you 100% and here are some people I think that you should go to because I was still quite um sort of you know quite new to it all I did speak to Don Don was one of the very first people Don Doria that I spoke to about it and although he thought it was a really good idea uh, Flame Tree don't really take on a lot of anthologies um, there's the two big ones that Mark Morris has done. Um, and apart from that, he said that they're, they can be a bit risky, especially with an unknown editor, which I would be. And I was, you know, just the fact that Don had taken the time to actually sit down and talk to me about it w- was enough for me, really. And he said it was a brilliant idea. So when I spoke to Brian, he gave me this list of people. And one of them he mentioned was Clash. Um, and the only thing that I'd known about Clash was that Sadie had used some of their stuff um, for Nightworms packages. So I spoke to her as well because, I, you know, I trust her opinion. And I said, oh, what do you think of Clash? And she was like, they're amazing. You should speak to them. And when I pitched it to them, they kind of like I I'd sent an email across and they were like, oh, this sounds really good. Let's have a Skype and talk about it. And within a few days of me saying I've got this idea, it all come together. And so it's really exciting. Um, and I think it helped that I am very much one of these people that thinks shoot for the stars. You know, um, if you ask people things and they can mm-hmm. only say no, you know, mm-hmm. do it appropriately, do it professionally and all that kind of thing. But why not go to and we did. We went to um, I approached Joe Hill. He thought it again was something that was right up his street. But he's just got so mm-hmm. many projects, there was no way that he could ever possibly go for it. And literally every single other person that we approached about it went for it. So we've got Brian King, Jonathan Jans, Josh Malaman, Adam Caesar, CJ Tudor, um, Cena Paleo, Gwendolyn Kist, Kaiser, I'm not sure her surname, Hayley Piper, Richard Chismar, Stephen Graham Jones, Kath Koja and Casey Lansdale. And we got Casey on board because we asked Joe. Uh-huh. Again, he said it sounded wonderful, but he's just absolutely chock a block. But he said, but do you know what? My daughter writes and I think that she would be really good for this. So I went to Casey and she really wanted to do it. So that's what we've ended up with for just the invitees. So it's going to be amazing. It really yeah. is. That's a, that's a fabulous list you've got there, it is, it? isn't it? When I look at it, I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> And Casey's a surprise, isn't she? When I yes. when I first read her work, it's like, okay, I've listened to her music, um, yep. followed a lot of the other stuff she's done, and then I read her, 
uh, yep. collection she did with Joe. And it's like, if yep. there's anybody in the Lansdale family who's more talented than Joe, it might be that young lady. Yep. Uh, exceptionally, exceptionally talented. And so, she, she's just as luck because I've always found Joe to be really approachable and, you know, he'll pass on any information, advice and that kind of stuff. Casey's obviously a chip off the old block. She's been lovely to um, chat with as well. Yeah, she's and she's got her finger in so many pies as well, like you said, with the country music singing and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, every single person on there is like someone that I kind of pinch myself and think, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they said yes. Because they're take, they're all taking a chance, really. Because I mean, people know Lisa and Christoph, but you know, and they all knew who I was. But the fact that they're kind of like they're going to, you know, trust their work with me to put together is just it's fantastic. It's so amazing. You have that very daunting thing that all these fabulous names are going to be sending you their stories, and you've got to look at them and maybe say, I don't like this, but can you change it? I know. Right. I know. That's horrible, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, like, who am I to be saying to Richard Chismar, can you cut this bit, please? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like this comma. Could you move it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, no. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, my God. No, that's it. I'm going to be sweating for the next six months. <laughs> I've had a few situations at Inkheist where when we we're publishing stories where I had to ask someone to change something or fix something or do And it's like, who the fuck am I to even saying this to you you know yeah, exactly. tell you what read your story and tell me if it's really good because i trust your opinion <laughs> yeah. uh, but really when you kind of you kind of go into these things in this industry especially as indies not really knowing what the hell you're doing so you make it up as you go and that personality trait that you have is really really important i think to it that willingness to you know like Early on with Ankai's people would say, how do you get all these guests? You know, how do you get people like, you know, Omakatsu and, you know, these big names coming on your show and, you know, F. Paul Wilson stuff. And it's like, well, I just contact them and say, hey, you want to be on my podcast? Because, you know, maybe 99% of them will say no, but 1% of them will say yes. And you'll all think I get all these really cool guests on my show. <laughs> you, know, you won't even know that I miss about, you know, 90% of them. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, and, it, and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt uh, anything to ask. Um, uh, it's part of what you were talking about earlier that you're exceptionally good at that I was going to address, too, was the networking thing um putting those putting those feelers out and you know just asking questions like you you made a good exact a good example of it talking about discussing with brian and then don and then sadie yeah you know those networks are important even if you don't have the network you you kind of you just make your own you know um, definitely um and talk about how that has fed into your own success over the past couple of years you think that's been pretty big and the at the mostly the pacing at which you've um managed to do everything i think so yeah even things like um like 
when I was looking to put out Twisted Tainted Tales, um, I knew I was going to ask Glenn to do the forward because, you know, we've always had this kind of joke between us that I'm like his Annie Wilkes, you know, his number one fan and all that kind of stuff. But we're actually quite good friends as well. So I knew that he would do the forward for me. Although that was that was daunting as well, because what if you send your favourite writer your stuff and it's shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because, you know, <laughs> but luckily he enjoyed it. Um, and I asked Hunter to blurb it and I asked Tim Meyer to blurb it for me. But they were both kind of friends as well. And I've done lots of beta reading and stuff for them. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, they are amazing and they're going to help with this. But we all know that that one, you know, blurb on the front cover is the thing that really, you know, draws you in kind of thing. And I was thinking, is there any way that I can ask Brian Keane because he is so busy he's always saying stuff like you've got 3,000 emails to go through and whatnot so what I actually asked him was would he read one story which was going to be footsteps um, and could he perhaps if he liked it and if he had time and I always preface it with that I'm never ever pushy with anything because I don't think that there's you, you just shouldn't be like that but anyway um would if he if it was okay and if he liked it and if he had time would he maybe do an endorsement instead of an actual blurb you know just a general something and he said to me no I won't do that send me the whole thing <laughs> and I was like oh um okay and I was like in shock. I think I cried actually at that point because I was like in shock, <laughs> you know, like, oh, Brian Keane's going to read. And then, then the whole nerves set in again with, oh, my God, what if he thinks it's shit? This is even worse. Um, and then luckily he um, he did it for me. And, you know, he read it. He enjoyed it and he blurbed it. And the amount of it, it was quite funny then when that came about, because I did get a few messages from people saying, how did you get a Brian Keane blurb? And, you know, when it's kind of a bit like I've been in the business for years and years and I can't get a Brian Keane verb, you have to go a bit careful then. And I just always say I just asked and it must have been the right time and the right Mm -hmm. moment. And it was serendipity and all that kind of stuff, because you don't want to piss people off thinking, you know, who's this two bit? No one that's come out, you know, like you (laughs) said, come on, suddenly appeared on Twitter and is now getting Brian Keane verbs. But I think Brian also knows that I would do anything I could for him. Not that I'm ever mm-hmm. going to blurb something of his, you know, but I will review his work and I will promote it and I will support him. He knows that it's a two way channel. You know, it's not all about what what can I get from him. Right. Not, and I think that's one of the things that's always served me well is that I will very much say, when I do interviews with people and stuff and I feel privileged and lucky to be able to do that I'll always end it with if there's anything else that I can do you know I can't guarantee where I can do it but I can pitch it to different magazines and contacts that I've got now and people really appreciate that and I think sometimes you don't realize that really famous people also appreciate that Mm -hmm. even though they can probably get interviews anywhere that they want you know that I think um they're just used to these kind of like reporters and people that do stuff with them that don't actually maybe they work for a certain magazine or something but they've got no actual interest in horror at all and it's almost like just like a machine when they're talking to them so when you speak even as me being nobody when I speak to one of these like celebrities and I've got a real passion and I'm kind of saying, oh, I love that bit in the movie when you did that. And they're thinking, oh, this is someone who actually knows what they're talking about and enjoys mm-hmm. it. They really do appreciate that. And it's surprising. Yeah, they do. Yeah. 
So can you tell us a little bit about the very big coup that you've pulled off recently with a, a certain Neil Marshall? <laughs> yeah, so that is definitely something which I'm still constantly like, what? Because uh, Neil is my absolute hero, like within directing and everything. And I watched Dog Soldiers, what is, it's 20 years old next year. So I watched it like 19 years ago. And I said to him, I've not, not a word of a lie, I must have seen it 50 times. It's the mm. most watched film we've got in this house. I, again, a film I'm not allowed to watch with other people because I know all the work <laughs> to it. Um, and he's not he's not particularly um he doesn't use a lot of social media either so I had no contact with him ever on anything and I just happened to speak to the editor at Screen magazine and I said um Dog Soldiers is 20 years old next year it's now or never for me to be able to write something for it would I be able to write a special feature because Scream do that you know when there's different you know birthdays and anniversaries they'll do a big feature and uh, the editor said to me, if you can get a interview with Neil Marshall, then, yeah, you can write a piece for it. So I was thinking, oh, crap, how the hell am I going to do that? <laughs> 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 OK, that's a challenge accepted. Um, and I knew another director. And so I asked him what would be the best way to get in touch with Neil. And I happened to be able to find out Neil's agent details. Now, I is, I found things very hit and miss with agents. I know that they're important yeah. and celebrities have to have them. But sometimes I don't think they even speak to the client. You know, they just look at an email address or they look at a pitch and they're like, no, they're not interested. Thank you very much. So, you know, I wasn't doing it from an official scream email. It was just my own, you know, like Disney email. <laughs> I <think> it's never, <laughs> never going to get through. So when I got the message back saying, yeah, Neil's really happy to talk to you. I cried again. I get very emotional with this kind of thing. Um, and it was like literally within the next couple of days because he just got back um, with his partner, Charlotte. They just got back from Hungary where they'd been um, wrapping up on filming. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, he can he can call you. So and again, I was thinking it was going to be because I said um, uh, I'll do the interview absolutely any way that is the most convenient and easiest for Neil. So if that means me sending him some questions and then he sends them back and that kind of stuff is like, no, no, no. He wants to talk to you. So I was like, am I going to actually be able to say words? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be able to speak to this person who I've put, I've put on a pedestal for the last 20 years and I have to tell you, he was just the nicest person ever he was so so down to earth and he kept saying to me it's, a, it's an honour to talk to you you know someone who enjoys my movies so much it's fun to be able to have a conversation like this and then he ended up giving me um, and they say it's it's not what you know it's who you know within this kind of business but he gave me then the contact details for Sean Pertry and some of the other actors to be able to again get um get interviews for the article and Sean Pertry FaceTimed me so not only was I then like thinking again words uh, I'm actually looking at him on the screen and I was shaking <laughs> talking to this person who I adore and again just the nicest most down to earth and just they, I mean they're kind of trained they have media training and all that kind of stuff to put you at ease but they were just so so nice 
and both of them I kind of said anything I can do you know I'll, I'll be more than happy to help you and both of them said when we've got things to announce if we've got scoops and stuff we've got your phone number we'll come to you so again it's that kind of like just that two-way conversation knowing that there's the support there but that is something I'm still like I can't believe I actually did it every so often I like <laughs> check my phone and I'm like yep there's a phone number there someone famous yeah <laughs> every now and then i'll do that i'll be going through my contacts and go oh yeah i got that guy's phone number i never call him because i'd feel really fucking weird but <laughs> I was like, hey josh how's it going man just calling the chat yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna yeah i was gonna ask you what the highlights has been you know uh, shane was saying everything's come so quickly what was your highlight in the past year or two from the sounds yeah. of it, from the way you were just then in this year in 2000? I think yeah. that was probably it. It was, yeah. As, as I said, it's, it's hard to express how weird it was, you know, from these people that have like watched on the screen too many times, really. <laughs> you know, like whenever I've been on things and people have said to me, what's your favourite movie? It was always Dog Soldiers. Even Footsteps was kind of partly inspired by that and The Descent, you know, that kind of stuff. So to be able to talk to them and to find out that, you know, people say don't talk to your heroes, you know, keep them kind of like a distance. But to be able to talk to them and to find out just how genu genuinely nice they are is just so good yeah so that is yes my highlight of my year highlight of the last 10 years really <laughs> did, did you come off the call and then go lie down in a dark room for a while <laughs> yeah i think i had to yeah i was like bright red and sweating and <laughs> it's kind of i is it, it is it uh pretty surreal when you think about how like that first time somebody passed you a screener and you're like, well, who the hell am I to be so honored to, you know, they're giving me advanced screeners of movies and, you know, things. Um, and then all of a sudden you're talking to someone like Neil Marshall and you realize you got much the same feeling, you know, yeah, <laughs> when you definitely. first got a screener. But it's, you know, on, a, on such an astronomically huge level, that's got to be just insanely surreal. It was definitely, and I don't, I've just kept going on and on and on about it, and I know that I have to like shut up about it at some point. <laughs> it's probably annoying people, but it's just, uh, I've just like, it's just been literally a dream come yeah. true to be able to do it. So yeah, I, I don't blame you because I could talk about dog soldiers and ginger snaps forever. Um, two, two, two of my most favorite movies. Ever, you know? <laughs> it's like i would but i don't i don't i'm not real analytical um i got more so when i started reviewing movies for stewie um um which is horror dna sorry steve petit um but uh so like people start tossing names and bev said so tell us about neil marshall and i'm like that must not be anybody i've never heard of him <laughs> and then you say movies and it's like oh yeah that's because i just never i never watch the credits people talk about famous actors and i go who <laughs> so um and i have i lost my i lost my train of thought as i'm want to do so somebody save me
I've, I've got a question. I was reading through your Twisted Tainted Tales and in, um, I think it was When Doves Cry at the End and you said you started writing or you wrote that at, when you were at uni, well, on holiday. Was yep. that your yeah. first story or was it stop and start as you went along? Um, that would be the first thing that I wrote that was um complete and completely my own if that makes sense um because i was writing all through school but i would liken a lot of it to um it would be like point horror fan fiction mm. was probably what i was writing <laughs> because that was um i was reading stephen king by the time i was in my early teens but um things like point horror because they were also about teens were the kind of things that I was trying to emanate, you know, that's what I thought I was going to be able to do. So um, the When Doves Cry, yeah, and I literally sat down and wrote that. We were in Corfu. I think my husband was like sat on the balcony having a beer or something. We were sat watching this beautiful sunset and I just was like, oh, I'm just going to write a story. And I just sat and wrote it. And it took, it was about another 15 odd years probably before I did that again you know just like that but it was always in the back of my mind I wonder what if I could ever do anything with this and luckily I had a at some point because I, I think I even maybe I wrote it on like a napkin or something you know what I mean? it's like something like, you know because we're on holiday um at some point and I can't remember when I'd obviously put it onto a hard drive and I just happened to find a copy of it that was printed out and I was like wow when did I do this and um, I was surprisingly pleased with it, actually, because it's so different from anything else that I write. But I think those stories that pour out of you like that are the ones that just stay with you and they almost yeah. demand, to, d demand to be seen. Maybe not at that point in time, but like, you know, 10 years down the line. That's it. Yeah, it obviously did something to you know for me to transcribe it at some point onto a computer print it out keep it through various I think we're in our like about my 14th different house or something ridiculous because we've moved a lot over the years so to have you know still had it <laughs> obviously at some point I thought to myself I'm going to do something with this and obviously found the right home for it in the end. So how do you combine I know you said that you find it difficult to carve out time for your own writing during the day because of the script yeah, writing yeah. and everything but also being a parent yeah where do you actually find that time to write yeah <laughs> well that that's the difficult thing at the moment and um with her being that much older she kind of stays up and watches tv with us in the evenings and everything as well so um I have to kind of say like if I've done the script writing and I've finished the scripts that I needed and they've gone off for editing and whatnot oh I've got an hour now I can write that review I need I can write down some ideas for an invite I've got I think I've got three invites which really I need to get started on stuff like that so it's, it's I have to find the time and then sometimes when daddy comes home in the evening they will sit downstairs and do something I'm like right up to the office and I just have to sit and write but as you both probably know, that that time when you make yourself right is the time where you sit there going. Yeah. Wonder what's going on on Twitter right now. <laughs> that's, that's it. Wait, 
you know, when you've kind of said, right, from six till seven, I will sit and write. That's like I've done about three words in this time. But in other times when it's like, right, I've got to go to the school run and then there's a doctor's appointment. And this and that is the time when you've got all these things flowing for you. But the way I always see stuff as well is even if I'm not writing, if I'm watching something, if I'm listening to an interview with someone, if I've got a podcast on in the background while I'm doing the dishes, that's all stuff that I'm getting ideas for. And right. a lot, a lot of mine, because I, I, I've been told that several of my stories um, are quite cinematic in the in the way that they read. And I think that's because I watch an awful lot of horror movies as well. And it's constant. It's not copying. It's a word that we used to use in teaching, which was called magpieing, where um, you um, see something that you like and you take that idea. Mm-hmm. It's not copying. It's taking the idea and then making it your own. And whenever I'm watching horror films and stuff, I think to myself, oh, I love the way that, now how can I get that onto paper kind of thing? Uh, But what I'm finding at the moment is I'm getting more and more into wanting to do screenwriting and stuff like that as well. And almost finding that um, that's more appealing than prose right at the moment. And I think that's kind of like, you know, you go through sort of, when you've done a lot of writing you just want to change it up a little bit and do something different so I think probably um next next in line will be something more to do with writing but I don't really know where to start with that at the moment, so <laughs> we shall see so, <laughs> how many books, yeah, so how many books do you manage to read a week then as well because you've got the reviewing side and I yeah. can see all those books behind you yeah. have you read all of them or god can you even imagine uh, uh actually there, there are there's a lot like this i don't know if you can see this pile here that's all my that, that's those are my point horror books from my teenage years and stuff and obviously like, that's all stephen king there so i've read most of that um, but what I've started doing is like going up because the Americans, I'm so jealous of you guys with your Goodwill shops that are just oh. full of all this horror stuff and whatnot. It makes me sick. <laughs> I go to our local shop here and uh, one of the charity shops even said to me, oh, we don't put any horror out. If we get horror, we just put it in the bin. They don't even have hot, you know, they can't yeah. have in their shops. So eBay is my best friend at the moment. So I've been getting a lot. There's um, Brian Keane and Richard Lehman stuff there. Because what I try and do is, um, obviously, I read a lot of new stuff because that's important, especially for our indie friends. But again, if I read something older, like a Brian Keane, a Richard Lehman, even one of the old kings and stuff, I see it as, um, it's like, that's part of my education. You know, I see it as learning. What You know, these guys were so um, successful. What did they do and how can I learn from that kind of thing? So I never really feel guilty when I'm reading stuff like that that has been reviewed millions of times like Jack Ketchum you know he is just uh, the most amazing well was the most amazing writer ever you know so if Mm -hmm. I'm reading a Jack Ketchum book I don't feel bad for not picking up a brand new book because I'm learning from that Mm -hmm. I'm learning the craft um Mm -hmm. how many books do I read in a week I have to say that since I had I had COVID in October yeah. And it really badly affected my concentration and tiredness levels. And I'm probably only managing a couple of books a week at the moment. And when you have deadlines for them as well, because um, obviously I review for Scream, Cemetery Dance and Horror DNA like Shane. So 
sometimes it can be really daunting then and you're almost finding that you're not enjoying what you're reading so much because you're having to read it and you know mm. you've got to read that in the next few days because you've got to get that review done um so it can be a bit difficult but luckily with scream most of the stuff that i read for them is stuff that i have selected and then i will then say to the editor these are the things that i want to read um so quite often it's i really enjoyed anyway such as a certain book called oh the house of little bones that i've just read that would be yours which was amazing uh, but something, uh, but one of the reasons why I chose that one, uh, not only because it's obviously Bev's book, but because it's a novella. Novellas mm-hmm. are now my best friend in the whole world. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> you can read like 10 novellas in the time of some of these novels, which are just like 600 pages. So mm. I do. I love novels of 600 pages. <laughs> I'll be mm-hmm. and reading the novels on the doorsteps. Oh, yep. I love those. I used to, and now if I get sent something like that to review, I'm like, for fuck's sake, no! <laughs> no, I just can't, I haven't got time. Just haven't got the time to be. And then you tend to find that you're like almost skimming through it, just to like get me to a good bit, because I, and that's not fair as well. So, yeah, yeah it's, um, it's a privilege to be able to read books and review them and that kind of stuff. But you, you have to be really careful. Because you have to be in the right mindset as well, because I think sometimes yes, you, you do. something and you're being you're being forced to read it, you can feel really resentful, and that can mm-hmm. affect your review then. Yeah. Whereas if you picked it up yourself and read it like six months later, you might have a completely different opinion. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the other thing with reviews as well. And I know that there's this thing in the community at the moment. A lot of people are saying that they're not going to be giving star reviews anymore and things. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that be a good thing actually because you know I know what my personal tastes are and I can read a book that I can say is beautifully written right that it could you know that the plot was you know um engaging and entertaining but it didn't have enough gore in it for me it didn't have enough you know like extreme violence because I like my splatterpunk mm-hmm and then you know you're almost giving it a negative review because it's just not your taste and that's really hard yeah. as well so yeah reviews are funny old things but they're what gets eyes on as well so it's difficult yeah. it's important too if you're writing reviews to walk away from it every now and then and just read just to read a damn book you know yes. because otherwise you will just walk away from it i guarantee it yeah um um i pretty much have just walked away from it for the most part and that was a big part of it was just never taking you know the time i still write reviews but i don't accept requests or anything anymore just because i burned myself down you know um so yeah definitely that approach is the wise approach yeah um take time for yourself and for your own creativity or everybody else's creativity starts to wear thin for you Yep. So. I believe I believe the next one you have out is the slasher anthology. Is that right, Janine? Yes. <laughs> yes. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that one? Of course. So um, when I started uh, working with Candisha, with the lovely Jill, I said that I really wanted to um, to do something which was 
it wouldn't be 100% splatterpunk um, because we didn't want it to be all of that kind of thing. But I wanted something that had a bit more violence in it and all that kind of stuff. And I love slasher movies. Absolutely love all of that kind of stuff. So I thought, you know, um, because of us being an all woman press, let's you know, instead of having the usual, you know, big, busty, blonde final girls and all that kind of stuff in our, in the stories, let's see what women can do. Let's let's, you know, invert the tropes. Let's send it out and see what we get. And we started off with um, we had 10 invitees. And then um, I, oh, heartbreaking to read through all these wonderful stories and then have to whittle them down mm-hmm. just to the, you know, like the, it was supposed to be 10, I ended up taking 11. And some of them were, they were just such a good story, but perhaps one of the invitees had sent something in very similar. Mm-hmm. So you kind of like had to reject this amazing story just because it was, you know, too similar in plots or something from one you already had. Uh, and I mean, that's the name of the game of being an editor anyway, having to turn away stuff which, you know, you give your right arm to write yourself. But <laughs> but it is fantastic. We have, um, I can tell you exactly who we've got in there. So Sadie's doing the forward, which she is for the Clash book as well. I've got Sarah Bed, who was obviously in our, um, in our Diabolica. We've got Summer Cannon, Holly Ray Garcia, Laurel Hightower, Sarah Jane Huntington, um, RJ Joseph, uh, Rhonda Joseph, Kenzie Jennings, Vivian Kelsey, um, a new lady to the scene called My Kill, Red Legault, uh, Julia Lewis, Anne Marble, Bitler May Mist, Brianna Morgan, Christine Morgan, Hallie Newland, Cena Paleo, Mocha Pennington, Stephanie Rabig, Ali Sayi, and Antonia Rachel Ward. A good mix there. We've got some kind of people that people are going to know who they are. Uh, We've got one which is a first acceptance, which is Julia Lewis. She works with Aidan Merchant over at Snowcap Press. She's an editor over there, but this is her first actual written story acceptance. And I want to see Jill and Candisha was my first acceptance back for Graveyard Smash. Mm Um, and I wanted to be able to do that for someone else. Just, you know, that was such an important and amazing turning point, you know, in my career and confidence and all that kind of stuff. I, uh, the first thing I, when Jill asked me to join Candisha in an editorial capacity, the first thing I knew I wanted was to be able to be somebody's first acceptance because mm-hmm. it's just such an amazing feeling. Um, and we've got a few own voices in there. Um, Mocha's story, it, The Crimson Bride, um, I think will send shivers down people's spine. It's just so powerful. Uh, it's just an amazing, an amazing anthology. Every single story in there is really like impactful and has got sort of so much to say. Um, Laura Hightower's story is just everything you would expect from her um seen as it's called i hate slashers and it's, it's it's just amazing it's just about um social media and stuff we've got a couple which are um, almost historical and it's just fantastic well when, when does that one drop janine okay so um we are hoping for the first of march for next year so that it will coincide with the women in horror month which has been moved to march yes. uh, so we thought that would be good so at the moment 
Um, it's all edited. It's gone through formatting. So we've got the early arcs of going out to reviewers and stuff. And from January, we're going to be really hammering um, getting the promotion for it. Uh, Gemma Ramore has done the cover, which is sensational. Uh, the only reason why we haven't done a proper kind of like cover release yet is we're just waiting on someone very, very special for the pool quote for the blurb. Um, uh, and I, I won't say who that is yet because until I get that back in the inbox, I don't want to jinx it. But I will say it's not an author. It's someone within. Um, she's a horror icon, but within the movie world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because slashers are so iconic with being obviously horror movies yeah. and everything. So we've gone down that road with the blurbs of sending them off to some very, very famous women within horror movies. So we shall see. Ooh, very exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's it's like it's like having an extra child, really. When And if for anybody that thinks putting an anthology together is easy because you're not actually writing the stories, you're just putting them together it's such hard work it really really has been so time consuming it's ridiculous but it's so worth it and i cannot wait to have the finished project and get it out into people's hands so yeah steph knows all about that as well don't you steph (laughs) (laughs) i still keep doing them (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) the guilt doesn't go away that sense of responsibility i think is yeah. You want to get it just right. Yeah. You sit there going over the same thing again and again, and then you go back to it and think, "Oh, I better check this grammar issue yeah. on it mm-hmm. again and again." It's just, it's it's just different to your own, isn't it? You don't yeah. want to get it wrong for those. You want to do the right thing by other people's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, I was very lucky in that those stories uh, came to me pretty much perfect. Yeah. So I, from an editorial point of view, I, I did like a line edit, and sort of, so went through every single, you know, and there was there were the odd typos which we all make, mm-hmm. you know, like with homophones and those kind of things. Um, sometimes um, I changed a comma here or there, but there wasn't an the one or two of them. They've just I made a few suggestions of just mm-hmm. you know like the sentence was slightly clunky let's just change the structure around that kind of thing um but apart from that there wasn't an awful lot to do because the stories all came to me Mm -hmm. so well written you know because a a lot of those women you know like again you know like someone like um uh let's have a look who's the top we've got some high you know some big hitters on there like someone like Tina Paleo I'm not going to say to her to change something you know <laughs> like what Tina's done she's fantastic you know and again who the fuck am I to tell you what to write yeah what we were saying about and she's just such a wonderful person um but every kind of like little bit that I suggested to people everyone was like oh thanks for picking that up yeah that yeah. was a stupid yeah. typo kind of thing yeah. there's no prima donnas in this whatsoever uh-huh. it's been very much a collaborative and collective project right from the start well and you have some people there too like I've read stuff fresh off of Cena and Laurel's typewriters so to speak and they pretty much um pretty much uh, pop out seemingly manuscript ready you yep. know <laughs> extremely extremely polished manuscripts by the time they get in the hands of anybody um so that's a that's a big bonus right there (laughs) (laughs) uh john taff writes that way too he'll say this is really rough and send you something that you'd go oh my 
God, I don't think I could write this if I rewrote it 100 times, you know. <laughs> but uh, I promised you I wouldn't keep you over, and it's five minutes over. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, I could, but, you know, um, I could talk all night. We all could, I'm sure, except for that uh, it is really nighttime for you guys, and it's only 2 p.m. for me. So. <laughs> uh what uh what else is going on with janine pipe that you want to share what uh anything at all that we haven't covered that you want to make sure gets mentioned i think we've covered everything thank you sasha's obviously the one which will be out the soonest so that's out the um, the first of march um the submissions are open for Nowhere Fast with Clash. Um, if you go to their website, all of the guidelines are there. Um, and for me, it's just I can't say anything about the stuff I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I understand. Sealed, but uh, yeah, there'll be plenty of uh, plenty of me next year, definitely. Um, and good, keep it coming because uh, the world needs more. Janine Pipe creativity in it. So, yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> Beverly, Steph, you guys have anything else? I don't think so. No. Oh, can I, Carl, can I mention Crimson is the Night again? I know yes. I mentioned it last yes. week on Kev's. Um, it went out to um, my newsletter subscribers today. That's the companion novelette to the Gabriel Davenport series and Nicole Eigener's Beguile by Night. Um, and it will be available for everybody else tomorrow, but you do have to sign up to our mailing list to get your free copy. So that's just my bit of promo. <laughs> um, and, and also uh, Steph and uh, Cindy O'Quinn have a new workout too um that i want to mention it's uh or or coming out i don't pay attention um it's lovely it's called foundlings uh um uh found poetry whatever i i'm a poet i don't know what they call it but (laughs) based on linda d addison's and andrew manzetti's work and we're hoping to bring it out beginning of February. And Linda and Alessandro are both working on the foreword for us because they both know all about it and they've read it and they've approved. And we've just had amazing feedback from people who've read it so far. And it's just been such a wonderful project. I don't think I've worked on anything easier in a long time. It's just been great fun. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and two great writers working on it, um, and the product is uh, exactly what you would expect from that from that union. So, uh, all three of these ladies, you guys, um, everybody listening, um, read their work, tell your friends, uh, follow them, support <laughs> them. Um, they're they're amazing. They're talented and wonderful, and uh, you should definitely be getting behind them. Um, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, Janine. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, take care, Janine. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.